0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: As we continue to inch closer to the actual playoffs for the NBA, the play-in ended the season for two teams last night. For two others, the fight continues. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitzport, presented by Progressive Insurance, and we jump straight into some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, and that comes in the form of watching the Atlanta Hawks take on the Charlotte Hornets in a matchup that we knew was going to have a lot of offensive questions, was which defense was going to step up. We knew the ball was going to be able to play well. We know that Trey Young's going to be able to play well. How would it all shake out? Well, Mark Kester, sir, on ESPN Radio, told us like this.
0: The horn sounds. The Hawks' season is not over yet. They win a winner-go-home game, and they got another one on the schedule. Atlanta will head to Cleveland Friday night for the right to face the Eastern Conference-leading Miami Heat.
1: Sarah, the Hawks get the big win. They look dominant in doing so, and now they are one step closer to trying to recapture the magic of last year.
2: Yeah, and you know what? They did it in a way that's probably heartening if you're a fan because it wasn't all Trey Young. And so much of that team comes from Trey's swagger and Trey's play. And in the absence of a good game from him, they got a ton out of Hunter and Capella. And that's a good sign because you'd like to think that Trey won't struggle the same way against the Cavs and if the Hawks end up advancing beyond that to face the number one seeded Heat. They are going to need a great Trey Young not a guy who was 3 of 13 in the first half and finished 8 of 24. So when you get an outing, like you saw 22 points, 16 of them in the third quarter for, for Hunter, and you got 15 and 17 from Capella, uh, that makes it a little bit more difficult to, to match up if you then add a little bit of uh, the, the usual Trey swag on top.
1: Yeah, as you mentioned, a rough night for Trey and one for seven from three-point range, which we're not used to seeing necessarily. But I felt like... In watching it, when you you mentioned Clint Capella, I, I was watching this thinking, like, there's the rewind. Like, there's the button that takes us back to what we were seeing last year. Because when Clint Capella takes over a game like that, he's a, a force. He's difficult to stop. And there was no answer for Charlotte. Uh, to have for him and it was a little surprising to me just to see him rise up and remind us all hey this is how this team last year got to the Eastern Conference Finals it wasn't just Trey Young it was a whole team of guys that were stepping up and playing better than anyone expected and you recapture that magic for at least a minute Sarah and it makes you think okay is this the beginning of them pressing the turbo button turning the light switch on and being able to do something we didn't expect.
2: It is possible. Now, uh, before we move on to their matchup with the Cavs tomorrow and how we see them faring, worth noting that not only did the Hornets absolutely get the brakes beaten off of them, but they suffered an embarrassment before the game because their bus got stopped by a train. And it's sort of a notoriously long train that if you're from the area, you know that it's time to turn the the car around and find another route. And instead, they sat there for a while and then they got out and walked. So the Hawks, I mean the Hornets, are walking to the arena for their game, uh, basically walking toward their own execution as it turned out because they fared so poorly. Uh, it was good timing, actually, for um, ESPN Daily and our buddy Pablo Torre to be, uh, to be telling the story of the Jordan meme because, unfortunately, this was a perfect time to roll it on out as the Hornets saw their season end. And he That's was it. up in the suite looking very, uh, very Jordan meme
1: it's hysterical to think of everybody like all right guys let's hoof it we're going yeah. we're walking to the game we're not going to miss this thing maybe that explains why uh, you know uh, i i understand plus minus is a sort of overdone stat at times <laughs> in the nba the fact that every single player that played last night had yeah. the the, the mm-hmm. best plus minus was a zero everybody else was in negative <laughs> and like you just look like that's just getting your butt kicked all the way yeah. across the board
2: Ugh. Miles now, now, was like, I don't even want to watch the finish. I'm going to go ahead and get myself <laughs> ejected, and then I won't have to be on the court for the final score.
1: <laughs> not, you're not wrong. And now the Hawks take on a Cavs team that, you know, uh, at times, I don't want to take anything away from Cleveland, but we've talked about the fact that health is a big factor for the mm-hmm. Cavs, and this feels like a good matchup for the Hawks.
2: Yeah, this one is tough for me to call because this is a totally different matchup if Jarrett Allen is available, and we don't yet know whether he will be. This is a Hawks team that, again, if Trey goes off, you can imagine them beating anybody in a one-game sample. Um, But Jarrett Allen could be back. John Collins unlikely for the Hawks again Friday. And Cleveland is just different when they've got – Allen and Mobley on the court together their size that lineup um, you put Larry Markkanen in there too and they do a good job of taking advantage they really kill you in the paint the post-ups the rebounds um, their length on defense so uh, for a Hawks team that's been abysmal on the road that's going to be a really big factor is whether Allen is back and the matchups are tougher for them but I do think as of now I've got the Hawks in that in that game tomorrow night to go ahead and advance to take on the Heat.
1: But you are right that that in order for any of this to happen, like Trey Young, I don't want to put so much on last year that it, it eclipses everything, but Trey Young was so brilliant in the playoffs last year, and that wasn't there last night. They've got to quickly get, uh, <laughs> get that figured out. He's got to get that turned around. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in, to play in action tomorrow night. The Cavs host the Hawks followed by the Pelicans at the Clippers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. I just mentioned the Pelicans. Well, they took care of business last night, largely because of one guy that went off. This is a little how it sounded. McCullum crossover dribble,
3: drives the left slot, climbs Pirtle, scooper off the glass, he spun it home off the glass. He's too good. 27 and a half now for C.J. McCullum.
1: That's Sean Kelly on ESPN Radio. And C.J. McCollum, uh, friend of the show, friend of yeah, Sarah's. like. you know I, I'm we just, stand
2: C.J. over here.
1: I mean, that that there's no doubt about it. But he was – I mean, I was watching in the first half, and I felt like my jaw was just on the ground. He was unstoppable. <laughs>
2: It was fun to watch, and I'm just—I'm such a fan of CJ. And as you know, this show sort of adopted the Trailblazers as our secondary team because we liked Coach Terry Stotts, we liked Dame, we liked CJ. So seeing it all broken up was a bummer. But I was excited to talk to CJ about how he was really excited about going to to New Orleans how he was enthusiastic knew the trade was coming had an amicable split and then showed up really ready to change that team and after CJ's arrival is when so much turned around for them such a steadying veteran presence a guy who brought the Blazers to the playoffs every single season since he got there and shows up to a Pelicans team that needed him and really made a change now this team doesn't have a chance (laughs) (laughs) If they advance, (laughs) nobody does. I really, I wouldn't pick anyone in a series with the Suns right now, but this is a stepping stone. And this is what you need for a team like this, particularly with so many questions around whether or not Zion will ever really be consistently healthy, whether they should invest and go ahead and up that, you know, pay off that contract and cross their fingers and hope he can make them great. Um, They still obviously will have to take on the Clippers tomorrow night for the chance to advance to take on the suns but these are the moments that you need when you're a team that has struggled when you're a team that lost ad who forced his way out and when there's rumors around zion and whether he wants to be there you got to put together a a cj a brandon ingram a valanchunas kind of big three that's not going to do damage against real big threes across the league but that is going to prove that it's a place that you can go and and make you know make a difference if you've got some talent and want to join up with some other pieces
1: I'm not sure is Like I don't know that there are many players in the NBA that make things look more difficult at times than he does. <laughs> like it never looks graceful, but it just looks imposing. Also, to the point that you were making about you know who is there, I, I, it it was sort of hit me last night watching them play. Number one, they don't have Zion. How good could this team have been if they had Zion? But also, uh, Brandon Ingram is somebody that you know the Lakers gave up on, and I understand that that's part of what happens when you acquire AD, but. Brandon Ingram has turned into a really nice player. He had a very good game last night, but he's had plenty of those this season. And I, I watched it, and it sort of made my heart happy for somebody that it feels like the Lakers, for obvious reasons, were like, no, nah, we're good without him. For him to go somewhere else and thrive in any level, to me, is uh, the, the ultimate opportunity for an individual player to stand up and say, up yours, I'm still capable, which I <laughs> love because I always root for the players.
2: Yeah, uh, I agree, and I think it's just fun when, when the Pelicans are good. It, it's a it's a cool market. We all like New Orleans, and it they had an opportunity after losing AD to be able to say to their ticket holders and the fans, hey, look, we're not going to be in a huge rebuild. Look at the luck we just got Zion, and then for things to go awry so quickly – um, and you look at the player he could be versus the, the fact that he's a, a missed the entire season, um, you kind of just are, are rooting for some good things to happen to him. We'll see how they fare against the Clippers. That's going to be a really tough matchup, too. You've got a veteran coach and veteran players who know how to make you work on defense, and this is a very different team than the one uh, in the T-Wolves that was able to beat the Clippers the other night.
1: Yeah, every single time the Clippers win a game, too, it's only going to make the narrative about what they're capable of in the playoffs. Rightfully so, get even louder. All right, we'll continue to get you updated. we got some great guests tonight. They're going to break down everything you need to know about the rest of the play in action and the playoffs that are upcoming. But three quarterbacks, one with the deal, one wants a deal, and one who wants to know what's the deal. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz (laughs) on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: As we inch closer to the NFL draft, every single day is going to bring more news when it comes to certain quarterbacks and their payday. The question is, what's it mean for everybody moving forward? And what's it mean when those deals are done? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance and We'll get to the big news today, but Sarah, we weren't hanging out on air yesterday where we could react to the big news yesterday. Mm -hmm. This is a true story, right? Like, so I was on this big draft call doing all this work, trying to get ready for the draft, and I do a weekly phoner with Las Vegas with the ESPN radio affiliate out there every year. Every week. Right. So they call just as I finished my draft call and I pick up the phone and I was like two minutes late and I was like, sorry, guys. And we're live on air. And the guys say, so I presume since you haven't been on social media yet this morning, you don't know that Derek Carr has a new contract. So I was on (laughs) air when I found out all the information. But I do want to quickly say I think that this deal is such a massive win for both sides. When you're talking about a quarterback that signs a three year extension on top of the year he already has, it'll give him about a thirty five million annual average value on that contract. That makes him right now fifth highest paid. And every time another one of these quarterbacks gets paid, that number's going to go down and down and down respectively to where he is in the marking. So when you start thinking about Lamar and Joe Burrow and uh, Justin Herbert, all the quarterbacks out there that are going to get paid over the next two years, he's going to end up having a middle-of-the-pack contract at $35 million annual average. That feels like a win for the team. And he gets a bunch of money that's coming to him for the next three years. It's another win for him, another big payday. I love every ounce of this deal.
2: Well, I'm sure you do, because for a talented guy, it's not a lot of guaranteed money. Um, And the fact that he openly said, I am either going to play for the Raiders or I'm going to be playing golf and told his agent that might have not helped with the leverage in terms of getting more guaranteed money out of the deal. But I think you're right. I think he wasn't going to break the bank compared to the guys that have been signing of late. But he still gets enough money to be, uh, you know, well paid for the position and for how he's done, and for the team to 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 make a run at it with the pieces that they've gotten. So, um, he's in a good position, unlike a couple other quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, which it's just wild to think make a run. The Raiders are trying to make a run. I don't even know how to process that. Uh, I can figure out how to process that eventually. Baker Mayfield can't figure out how to process anything at this point because, frankly, his feelings are hurt. He is he feels disrespected from the way the Browns treated him. Through the course of this offseason in fact he was on the you never know podcast and this is what he said
4: i feel disrespected 100 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. because i was told one thing and they completely did another when i wasn't performing on the field that's when it really started going downhill then when it started hindering my play and that's when i started losing my own self-confidence and just losing myself this mm-hmm. past year was rough i would love to show up to somebody's cubicle and just boo the shit out of it <laughs> <away. laughs> yeah. and see and watch <laughs> watch them crumble do you have any idea where you're gonna land oh man this would have been about a week and a half ago I would have said Indianapolis, um Seattle, I mean probably the most likely option, mm-hmm. but even then i i just I'm ready for the next chapter,
2: yeah, you know, Fitz this is complicated because on the one hand, I think he gets himself in trouble with a lot of the ways he approaches things, and he doesn't always seem to have a lot of awareness of. Um, the situation or his, how he's perceived, um, I think his competitiveness and his fire has been a really big boon for him throughout his life in terms of his play, but in this situation doesn't serve him well because the Browns are in terrible situation where he is not a guy who will back up the person who replaced him. Right. And meanwhile, every other team knows that as well. So there's no leverage to try to trade him. But I think a lot of times, you know, I want to play this sound from Bart Scott and Alan Hahn on Barton Hahn today, because this is how a lot of people are perceiving that he hasn't landed anywhere else yet.
3: It is weird that he's still on the roster. But, but that should he tell you everything. He doesn't know. That should
0: tell you everything. Meaning what? That
3: means
2: nobody else
0: is saying, hey, man, well, damn, Baker would be an upgrade from what we got. Hey, I'll give you this. People would rather wait to the class of 2023 than to take a flyer for $18 million on Baker Mayfield. For on one year. One year, on $18 a guy who million. Was number
3: one. They took, they took a flyer on
0: Sam Darnold. Yeah.
4: Okay. So. I, so, that should so,
3: tell so him everything is, right, about so is, how people perceive him. So this is a lack of awareness on Baker's part. Like you're, you're You're saying, um, I feel disrespected when the Browns are going, we were trying to move you, nobody wants yeah. you.
2: All right, jump the gun there. But, uh, you know, I just don't think it's that simple, Fitz. I think if the deal for Deshaun Watson had gone down earlier and there were still openings at a couple places, there's a real shot that he would have been picked up. I don't know that Mitch Trubisky, by sitting out a year – really proved more than Baker did while Hurt and in his previous years with the Browns, I think the timing just worked out. Gee, I, I don't know that, you know, Washington would have gone for Wentz instead of Baker if they knew what the options were. I think there are a couple teams that are just nowhere near winning, so they're going to they're gonna try to get themselves in position for the draft. And, and they're not going to go out and get a guy who's going to be difficult or hot-headed or any of that they're just going to sit and say, okay, we're going to stick with the situation we've got, which is terrible. Uh, Teams like the Falcons, teams like the Panthers. Um, And so I just don't think it's as simple as, well, nobody wants him. I think it's a tough situation.
1: Yeah, and the concept that nobody wants him, I mean – is just failed to me because there are teams that need quarterbacks and there's no way you know to the sam darnold point it's never as simple as nobody wants somebody it's complicated in the sense of who do you currently have under contract how can you get out of those contracts what kind of salary cap space do you have how can you bring in baker for a year like I, i think it's oversimplification to say nobody wants him and i understand that baker has become polarizing to a lot of people but uh, through it all, there is at least some proof of concept that Baker can be a very good quarterback at mm-hmm. times. Does he need some help? Does he need some things to go the right way? Sure. Do a lot of quarterbacks? Yeah. I just mentioned Derek Carr. I mean, I think Derek Carr thrives when he has great weapons around him. So, like, I, I, that's not unfair to say most quarterbacks are not Aaron Rodgers, and that's okay, right? So, to me, Baker still has plenty of market. It just doesn't mean that it's easy to find that hole right now. And also, uh, you know, for him, the louder he is, the more he wants to remind the Browns, whatever is about to come with Deshaun Watson, if they still have him on the roster, if they still have Baker on the roster, there's no assurance that he's going to decide he's willing to play.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're in a tough situation because they've got, what do they have five quarterbacks on their depth chart right now? Yeah. Cause they've got guys that they are ready to, to use in the very likely instance that Deshaun Watson gets suspended. They're going to need someone for a couple games if that ends up happening. Um, and so and I don't think they feel comfortable having Baker around by then. They're going to go with Jacoby Brissett or I, probably not Joshua Dobbs, but Jacoby Brissett, they will probably line up for that. And so I think they'd probably rather that Baker be a little bit quiet and let some interest grow and then figure something out. But again, there's just no leverage. Everybody knows they've got to get rid of him.
1: Yeah, I think that's the biggest part—the lack of leverage. Uh, Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz. Tune into the ESPN Daily podcast. Get you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. Presented by SuperCuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Now, one other quarterback that's sitting here saying, "Wait, wait, wait!" Is Kyler Murray. Bunch of reports coming out today. Not the least of which was Tom Pelissero uh, saying that uh, if he doesn't get a new deal he's not going to play this year for the Cardinals. And this is tricky, Sarah, because he's not making a ton of money. We're pre-draft. Like, this is the time for him to be a disruptor if he wants out.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't think he wants out. I think he wants the contract he's looking for, and he's been planting the seeds to make it really uncomfortable if he doesn't get that offer all off-season long. Uh, If you weren't aware of the back and forth between Mina Kimes and the Cardinals – social media i highly recommend checking it out she laid in wait for a full month after they asked if she was good about russ she sent them back a shot of kyler in a baseball uniform and when this hit today she sent them another follow-up of like hmm what where you at now so this will be interesting to follow
1: yeah i mean that's the, the the part of this that's going to be wild is to see how they come to some resolution quickly because money's always the object. Coming up, mm-hmm. they made a run last year. How far can the Hawks go? We'll break it down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We saw last night the Hawks managed to get the dub despite Trey Young not having a great game. But Hunter and Capella stepping up, and that sets up a game tomorrow to try to get into the first round. Spain and Fitz now joined by Chris Kirshner from The Athletic to talk about the Hawks. Chris, what did you make of last night's game, and what did you take away from their ability to succeed despite Trey having an off night?
4: Yeah, I think it was key for, like you mentioned, guys like DeAndre Hunter, Quinn Capella, Bogdan Bogdanovic, Bogdanovich, Daniil Gallinari. It was going to be one of those games where uh, the Hawks, if they were to win, which they obviously did, those guys were going to have to step up because what we saw from Charlotte in the regular season is their game plan was clearly to take Trey out of the game. Um, In their last regular season game, it was arguably the most trapping that Trey has seen all season. It it was pretty much nonstop and they held them in a three of 12 shooting in that, in that game. So coming into last night's game, it was expected that that was going to be Charlotte's game plan. Um, And and to the Hawks' credit, the other guys stepped up. They were making their open shots because uh, Charlotte was putting two on Trey. It it gave those quality looks that the Hawks needed, and and they knocked them down. So I think that was the big takeaway, the other guys stepping up in a a big game, a must-win game, obviously. And, you know, just moving forward, I think getting DeAndre Hunter involved, I think DeAndre is key to the Hawks moving forward. And he just hasn't been really all that good um this season so for him to get involved and to show what he did in that third quarter which is when the Hawks uh pulled away from the Hornets I think was really encouraging moving forward for them
1: so if this feels like the book on how to defend Trey Young what does Trey Young have to do to break through it
4: I think for for Trey I asked him about it um you know after the after last night's game and I mean I think the key to not be defended this way is to uh, show what happened last night when the other guys are making shots. If, if the other guys are making shots, I mean, look, this team was built to beat traps. They're surrounded by really good shooting. They have Bo Don Bogdanovich, Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari. Like, all these guys can shoot at a really high clip. So if those guys are making shots, opposing defense, defenses just can't put two on Trey. So I think that is the key. Um, whether or not Cleveland does that, Tomorrow night, I don't know. They didn't really defend him that way in the regular season. Perhaps they they go that way. Um, But I think that's the key for for Trey to not have two on him. Um, And I think that's something that they're likely going to have to address moving forward is getting a second quote-unquote star to pair with Trey just so he doesn't have to be hounded on the ball whenever he does have it in his hands.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz talking to the Athletics. Chris Kirshner about the Hawks who beat the Hornets last night. They'll get the Cavs tomorrow. Uh, right now, a game time decision for Jared Allen. That makes a big difference. Uh, obviously, uh, has a big effect on the Cavs, particularly would slow down Young's ability to find Capella and, and the big men uh, at the rim and, and in the paint. Uh, how big of a difference do you think that is? Is that a game deciding difference whether Jared Allen is available?
4: I think it's a massive difference, you know, especially because when you look at the Hawks, um, they're not going to have John Collins, who's, who's their second best player. Um, and, you know, he's one of the, the bigger guys on the team, six foot ten, can jump with anybody in the gym, can can space out to the corners and, and hit threes, make them above the break. So not having him, if Jared Allen's going to be there, just makes things way more difficult for Clint Capella and, and Danilo Gallinari, who's been starting in place of John. So I think it, it, it makes a huge difference um, just because of the fact that Atlanta, as is, when you look at just what they have on their roster, Capella's not the biggest center. Um, Danilo Gallinari, um, not the greatest defender. So they're likely going to you know, put up a – Cleveland's definitely going to put up a fight when it comes to how they um, attack the paint. So I think it's certainly something that um, could swing the game. The only thing I would say is, you know, Jared Allen's missed quite some time now. Um, You know, he he just said the other uh, – J.B. Bickerstaff, Cleveland's coach, just said the other day that, you know, Jared is still experiencing pain in his finger. So who knows how effective he is. But just the fact that he's out there can certainly swing it in Cleveland's favor tomorrow night.
1: Chris, it wasn't that long ago that we were watching the Hawks go on a deep run and Trey Young was going to be this great, huge superstar. Everybody was falling in love with everything last year in the playoffs. What's the difference between this year's team and last year's team in that sense?
4: I think the main difference for for Atlanta this season is um, the fact that they just didn't play good enough defense really all year. Um, When you look at the defensive rankings, they're – uh, I think they finished 26th in, in the regular season in, in defensive ranking. And when you look at what the Hawks were after Nate McMillan took over for Lloyd Pierce, who was fired at the beginning of March, um, Atlanta had the, I believe it was the 12th best defense in the NBA. And then when you combine that with what they can do offensively, offense is never the problem for Atlanta. But, you know, they finished second in the league this season. I've always thought that if the Hawks could just be somewhere around league average, even slightly below league average with, with how they play offensively, you know, they've shown that they can put up points against anybody. It doesn't matter who's on the other, on the other side. So I think for, for Atlanta, if they can figure it out defensively, if they you know get past uh, Cleveland tomorrow and do face Miami in the first round, if they can just be okay defensively, I, I do think that they have a chance against Miami just because of the fact that again, They've shown that they can score at will against anybody. So I think that's one of the main things tomorrow night. How well is is Atlanta going to be able to defend guys like Darius Garland, Kevin Love? Is Karis Levert going to get hot? Is Isaac Okoro going to make threes? So I think those are some of the things to look out for tomorrow.
2: It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Chris Kirshner from The Athletic about the Hawks, who have uh, gone 3-1 against the Cavs this year, although uh, the Cavs were never full strength in those matchups, so sort of tough to look at those and try to make predictions. One thing we do know about the Hawks is they've been terrible on the road. Uh, that would be especially problematic for them against the Heat, uh, who are efficient and consistent. What do you see from this Hawks team when they go on the road? What changes?
4: I think one of the big things is, you know, uh you start at the the head and that's Trey Trey hasn't been as effective on the road as he has been at State Farm Arena. Not to say that Trey hasn't had an unbelievable season, you know, I I I voted him all NBA, but I think his numbers go down and then when um you play on the road, your role players tend to not play at what they normally do when you're at home. So I think that's been something that has affected atlanta um and it's a good stat to mention because you know since the start of 2022 against teams that are in the top 10 in either conference atlanta's 1 and 11 on the road Mm -hmm. their only win on the road against a quality opponent came back in january against charlotte and charlotte that night shot 4 of 36 from three So this is just the team that, you know, it's like two different versions of the Hawks. It's the the home version that looks completely dominant, which is what we saw last night. It was like, how is this team ninth in the Eastern Conference with how they played? But then they had games on the road where it's like, who is this team? Like, how how are they losing this game? You know, they've dropped games against Detroit on the road. Um, You know, they've struggled against some of the worst teams in the NBA on the road. So that's one of the things that I think has, me a little concerned for Atlanta's chances tomorrow just because of the fact that you know we have a 41 game sample size now of them just not being a good team on the road you know i think they finish um, when you look at the eastern conference i think they have three or four fewer wins than the next uh, team ahead of them on the road so again i think just for for that alone does make me a little bit concerned about the hawks chances moving uh, moving forward against cleveland tomorrow
1: So you got a pick for us, Chris? Who do you think uh, wins it in the end?
4: Um, I I know Hawks fans have been at my neck for for picking (laughs) Cleveland. But, again, I think um, just the fact that they've struggled mightily on the road has me thinking that home court advantage is going to be key for, for Cleveland tomorrow. The Cavs fan base is going to be, you know, eager to get back to the playoffs for the first time since LeBron left. Um, so I know that crowd's gonna be ruckus and, and again we have a forty one game sample size of the Hawks struggling on the road. So yeah. I, I do think that the Hawks are more talented and if this game was played in Atlanta I'd be choosing Atlanta, but because it's in Cleveland and because I've seen them struggle and, and lose these games, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Cleveland tomorrow. I'm gonna stick with my original prediction.
2: Thanks so much for the insight, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Chris Kirshner of The Athletic with us here on Spain and Fitz. A couple follow-ups on that uh, road record, Fitz. 16-25 uh, and 25 on the road, a minus 1.7 net rating in their road games. They've got the fifth-worst defense on the road while giving up 57.5 half opponent true shooting percentage which is 23rd and 36.4 three-point percentage which is 25th and as i mentioned the heat are top five in both of those categories so if they do advance and the heat obviously have home court advantage from their seating uh that could be that could be tough for them we'll see if they can get past the Cavs tomorrow first coming up fines from around the world of sports the no fun police out in full force we'll tell you about it next spain and fits
0: spain and fits the podcast
2: Ah, this is perfect. Perfect sound for this segment as the money is leaving wallets and heading to leagues today. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, If you follow the Around the Horn Twitter account, good behind the scenes video today of Mina Kimes explaining the one time she got in trouble at school was for flipping the double bird when she was manning the National Honor Society table and a guy walked by and said, this is dumb. I don't want to join this. And then he walked away and she flipped him the double birds and got, got in trouble at school. I just love that Mina got
1: in trouble for that. I like, know, for I, I literally did,
2: anything. It's funny, I, I, but. <laughs> she's such
1: a likable. Like, I did flip yeah. off a bus driver in sixth grade. I got I got detention for that. Oh, wow.
2: That was, that yeah, I would expect that from you, though. Yeah, Mina, president scary. of the National Honor Society, while representing said Honor Society. What a yeah. disgrace.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> do, do, they, do they take her name off the National Honor Society? They did. Yeah, I'm there, sure. Like, she, yeah.
2: she left in disgrace. Uh I always get used to calling the middle finger the Bud Adams, the double butt Adams. Uh that's a that's a was a long uh discussed situation on the Lebotard show, so it's come to just be the double butt Adams from from the Titan owner. uh mm-hmm. throwing some middle fingers from a luxury suite. Uh which is just great. I think also if you're eighty plus at, or you're younger than ten, absolutely it should always be funny when you throw throw a middle finger. Just I like mean, I- Real old or real young, it's going to get a laugh out of me.
1: I, look, most of the time now, I mean, even if somebody does flip me off, like, I, I don't know, I kind of giggle at it. Like, right. I'm at that, that spot in life where if a grown man it's wants to, like... just a flip, finger. Yeah. I'm right. like, yeah it's not going to hurt you. You feel better about yourself, that's good.
2: Right. Uh, but if you do it in a game, you're going to pay. And that's what happened. Uh, Ryan Hartman... Uh, getting a $4,250 fine, very specific, very. Uh, of, of the Minnesota Wild, uh, flipping off the Oilers of Evander Kane as they were headed to the penalty box in the dressing room after a little bit of a scuffle. This is a fun story because Evander Kane... Uh, I guess Google it if you want to see the laundry list of accusations against him for a variety of things, all the way from potentially betting on games to bankruptcy and gambling debts to assault, to domestic violence, to uh, COVID-19 protocol avoidance. He has a laundry list of issues off the ice, and so he's not well-liked, Fitz, uh, by Minnesota Wild fans and also by his estranged ex-wife, who... Went into a GoFundMe and paid $200 of that fine for the man who flipped off her ex, and once people caught wind of that Venmo transaction, uh, Minnesota Wild fans started sending him more money. So uh, it, it, he's not going to have to pay anything for for the bird, and he inspired a bunch of fans that also said, "You know what? Yes, middle finger to Evander Kane." Not that. Not...
1: There's so much pettiness in that I can't be mad at that. The, the <laughs> thought of going out there and contributing in a GoFundMe, but also like weird that you contributed 200 bucks. Like that's that's a lot to contribute, but not like all of it. I don't know what the, what the right. logic is on that. Just enough like to make a, a big just an, yeah, yeah, just
2: enough. And then I like the stay blessed was mm, the caption yes. on her Venmo. Um, yeah, Ryan Hartman after the game. Uh, you know, we had five guys in there. They didn't have one guy in there to help him. I don't think any of their guys are going to defend him. Uh, said the fine was well worth it. Basically no one likes him. Uh, Mm. (laughs) uh, so that was one fine, the middle finger fine, which again, it's just a finger, not going to hurt anyone. It's sort of strange that we're caught up in, in, you know, that being a thing still, but it is another fine, uh, that makes sense, but is a little silly, Miles Bridges last night—you've heard about it in the Sports Center updates. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets forward fined five, sorry, fifty thousand for throwing his mouthpiece into the stands. It hit a woman, uh, not intentional. The, you know, he just got a little overwhelmed. His emotions got the best of him. He was kind of drawn with someone and then whipped it. But uh, you really can't hit fans with anything, even just a mouthpiece, without the NBA cracking down.
1: Yeah, a fifty thousand dollar mistake, but still a mistake, right? Like, right. I, I mean. For anyone that watches it, it's not like he was taking it out and deliberately flinging at somebody. So, you know, it's an awkward moment and one that he's been very uh, obviously uh, apologetic for but $50,000 like that's the going cost of a of a mistake when you're an NBA right. player which well, is just
2: and when woof. it's a kid right yeah, like 100%, it, yeah. it's going to go over a little better if you hit, hit say a grown man but you hit a 16-year-old girl and they're going to need to be a little bit more forceful with their accountability uh just to 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 make sure to make it real clear to people the, to be a little bit more careful with that stuff but yeah so we got flipping the bird we got throwing a mouthpiece the next one is my favorite. Uh, I don't flip the bird often, although I'm not against it. I don't throw things really ever, but I have a sailor's mouth. So when I hear the language of the next fine, it's just chef's kiss. Miles, uh, sorry, uh, Patrick Beverly fined 30000 for, quote, egregious use of profanity. Because there is a level of profanity that is okay, but when it becomes egregious, you got to pay $30,000. This, of course, was when he uh, made some post-game comments to the media, but more importantly on social media. He has since deleted the Instagram story, but he uh, called his team the weak ASS Clippers and told them, get the F out of here. Um and had some, you know, uh, take the ASS home. Uh, You know, he had a lot of language. He was crying. He was standing on a table. He was really feeling it when they got the win, and uh, unfortunately, it resulted in a fine.
1: $30,000 is a hell of a swear jar, by the way. And, uh, look, (laughs) one of the great wonders of the world is that I have never actually uh, accidentally let one out on air because, you know, is anyone... That knows me off mic will knows i mean i i i learned how to swear from my mom right and so my mom always was very she she believed that the whole concept that you know you only use the f-word when you don't have a better word her whole concept was no mm-hmm. nothing makes you feel the way <laughs> the f-word makes you right. feel so i'm going to use it all the time so like I, that's been part of my family's communication since i was probably 10 or 11 years old to everybody in the family it is amazing to me that for whatever reason when I'm around kids and a microphone I've always been able just to shut that part of my mind off but it is alarming 30k feels like a heck of a swear jar though I'm just saying like mm-hmm. that that that's a that's a hefty price 4 grand for flipping a bird 30k for swearing I don't know it doesn't uh, seems it
2: seems high seems high It it does seem high uh, I think it was probably a combination of directing it at the opposing team there's that oh, level of uh, respect for the opponent um, but you know, it does feel like a whole lot of money. For, I, I don't have even think ever, was, like, was there. There was there was one f bomb as my as my mom used to call it the fifty center because uh, mm. that's the it costs you the most in the swear drawer. You had to put you had to put fifty cents in there.
1: My uh, my mom used to always love to use it right in the middle of the Lord's name. That was that was always <laughs> my mom's favorite way to do it. And you guys can figure that out by yourself. Right, uh, right. But have you ever been? Have you ever gotten like I did play once. I was playing in a. Of course, it was in the South. I was playing in a, in a pickup league that uh, we were like a rec league, but it was a church league. And I was very frustrated with myself after I missed a shot and not to anybody else. But I let some things fly in the church. I, I, I was ejected. I, w- I was uh-huh. ejected and suspended for my Ooh. language. But my language was at myself. So that was the one thing that I, I, I like. But right. In fairness, it was a, a church sponsored league. So maybe right, I should something there.
2: I don't think I've ever been ejected from a game. I got a, a yellow card almost every single game of my senior year in field hockey, but never the red. Um, I don't think I ever got ejected. I, I was pretty good about, I would get frustrated, but I wouldn't drop the swears and I wouldn't you know, get in fights and stuff. Uh, we want to ask you, of those three folks, who got their money's worth? Who got their money's worth? Was it the mouthpiece, the profanity, or the middle finger? We'll put it up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs, for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. Fitz, you'll notice I did respond to your question about whether I'd ever been ejected from a game. I did not offer up that I also had a clean record on radio uh, because it is not true. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the dump button used to be my friend. Thankfully, I've matured and rarely do you need to hover over the dump button anymore. Well, done. coming up, who gets who gets to the first round it's next?
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Anytime you're fighting for a chance to get into the playoffs, it's an amazing opportunity. But sometimes a game can leave you saying what might have been for every team that's involved in it. And it feels like over the course of the next day as we get ready for more play in action, there's plenty of teams that are lamenting what their season could have looked like. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sirius XM, Channel 80, series Spain, Jason Fitz. we presented by Progressive Insurance. And we've got a couple of playing games, obviously, that everybody's going to have their eyes on. Clippers taking on the Pelicans. Cavs taking on the Hawks. But I want to start with the Clippers and the Pelicans, Sarah, because I think there's a real what might have been. Not my favorite song, but, you know, it's a good one. There's a real <laughs> what might have been moment for both of these teams as the Clippers and Pelicans are looking at and saying, where would we have been if we were actually healthy this year you think about what we expected for the Clippers versus what we've seen since the day that Paul George and Kawhi joined forces and you think about the Pelicans who we just saw absolutely run through their first game and I kept looking at it thinking man how good would they be if they actually had Zion like both of these teams have a great opportunity but they can also look at it with a little twin like a little tear just uh, streaking down the cheek of what they could have seen this year
2: and they leave us all wondering because neither Kawhi nor Zion has officially been ruled out for the rest of the season, right? There is the question of if they somehow advanced, would there be a chance you might see those guys? Not likely, but they've got us all still sort of wondering. By the way, I had to Google what might have been, and I was not surprised to discover that it was a country band song, and that's why I had no idea what oh, you were no, no! About.
1: No, Now, wait, it may have been a country band song, but it was a... It was a bad '80s crossover, like early '90s crossover. It was a pop hit, definitely a pop. It was played on the pop really? stations. Really? Yeah, yeah. What might have been was a crossover. Uh, what was it? Restless Heart. Did they do it? Was that? Was that Little you're Texas? Little Texas. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it, it definitely. Yeah, it was. A we'll crossover. find
2: that. We'll we'll come back with that at the next break, and we'll see if if you are allowed to claim that that was a crossover hit. Uh, now, granted, I was uh, young, but I think I would remember it if it was crossover <laughs> and not just country. Anyway, back to the game. Yeah, listen, the Pelicans, if not for that trade for CJ and if not for some of the changes midseason, uh, they wouldn't even be in the play and with, with a chance to, to get into the first round the Clippers on the other hand this is a team that before Paul George got hurt they were sitting around fifth in the west they had expectations that Paul George could be an MVP candidate there was a lot of talk about Kawhi coming back and then between uh, George going down and Powell not being available until back uh, coming back more recently um, after they acquired him it's just a different team and now the question is are they an uh, sort of diamond that could, you know, uh, with a little more time for Powell and George and everybody to click be uh, outplaying the expectations of their seed or do they just not have enough time to get back to what we saw early in the season when they were uh, one of the better teams in the West?
1: Yeah. I think the, the time is run out, you know, and at some point continuity is such a, a factor for most teams going into the playoffs. And it's something that we've seen, rare exceptions to I know every rule has an exception and somebody's going to tweet me what about I understand that but when I think about the playoffs and coming together there's a a magic that comes for certain teams that have been able to get some level of rhythm together it's one of the reasons I don't really love the nets going forward in the playoffs no matter what the matchups look like to get all the way to the NBA finals because they just don't have a lot of continuity you know and, and so for me that has to matter at, at some point for who we've seen and who we will see in the playoffs. There has to be some, this is what it's like in this moment. This is how we get there. And I don't know that they've had that this year.
2: Yeah. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. The conversation of course, for both teams is, um, you know, expectations versus reality. What you imagined from, the Clippers when they acquired Kawhi and what you've actually gotten disappointment last year, and then him not being available this year. Same goes for the, the Pelicans with Zion. And Brian Windhorse actually was on KJ and Max talking about whether, you know, whether he plays or not at all this year, they've got a decision to make coming up about whether they give him a whole bucket load of money.
4: Look, I know that Zion and the relationship with the team has gone ice cold and, and, and red hot at times. Uh, I would absolutely not move on from that guy. He, he's a guy who averaged 27 points and 61% shooting last year. That is Shaquille O'Neal-level type stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, the ceiling is so high, and it's a terrible circumstance for a small market team that needs a superstar like that to contend and also needs a superstar like that to be in the national you know, consciousness, to get attention, to get media coverage. So even if it's a massive risk, you trade him away for pieces that will never amount to him you're not going anywhere and that's two superstars that you've lost
1: i think that's the biggest part of it is like when you look at the cost benefit of actually letting him letting him go if he goes anywhere and then gets healthy and then mm-hmm. goes on a run and has the career everyone thinks zion could have then all of a sudden it's egg on the face forever for your franchise if you invest in him and he never gets healthy at least you can justify for a long time. Hey, you spent money, right. which is like paper money to any of these. It's, it's Monopoly. It's funny money to most of these teams anyway. So at least you can say to your fans, hey, we did everything we could. We spent the money, even though he may not have been worth it. We invested in the player. Like, I think you need that positive sales pitch from that message. So, you know, frankly, to me, that that's a, a simple one for the Pelicans. They, I don't think they have a lot of choice. Spain and Fitz, there. Spain, Jason Fitz, that's not the only playing game. We have Cavs taking on the Hawks. Uh, coming in and this one feels like it's a little under the radar Sarah but uh, you know I'm I'm torn on this because while we acknowledged earlier that Trey Young didn't play well I think it's hard to imagine he won't get in the zone get in the zone brought to you by auto zone get in the zone auto zone when you talk about the level of star that Trey Young has been and his ability throughout last year in the playoffs the bigger the pressure the better he played he did have an off game last night but Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to see him having back-to-back off games given what we saw last year in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, you think about tomorrow's games and in both cases, you're kind of imagining whichever team wins is just setting themselves up to get absolutely rolled in the first round (laughs) against their opponent. The West more so than the East. Obviously, the Suns are heads and tails above everyone else. So a 1-8 matchup on that side to me is going to be a pretty quick dispatch of whichever team shows up, even if it is the Clippers and they manage to outperform expectation for that seed. Um, in, on the east side, there's a lot more bunching at the top, and I don't think the Heat are are so far and away better than the couple teams behind them, um, but I still think they're obviously going to be favorites uh, for whoever wins this. Now, for me, the Hawks, like I said earlier, need Trey Young to show up in a real way. They need him to show up in a real way, and of course, they need Hunter and Capella to step up if they blitz uh, Trey Young like they did last night. But also, I don't know what they can do if Jared Allen plays. And sources have him attempting to play. He's been out since early March with a fractured finger. His presence in the paint, uh, the length that they get on defense, um, his rim protection, they can go with their big lineup with Markinen at the 3 and Mobley at the 4 and Allen at the 5. That changes the look of that Cavs team that really sank down the stretch with injury and everything else. They had outperformed expectations to such a degree that you know where they are now is a disappointment from midseason fits like this was a, a good great story um and so uh i think we now maybe underestimate their ability to beat this hawks team because what we've seen down the stretch has been so disappointing but this midway season uh was a really high functioning effective uh calves team
1: yeah when you talk about the size that they had and the size that they lost you really think about the opportunity for mismatches that they've lost through that process and We talk about this all the time, but it feels like the NBA playoff matchups are so much about that, individual matchups and how do teams sort of square up against each other. And it felt like Cleveland size could be a huge advantage. But like we said yesterday, and frankly, I think is one of the themes of this year in the NBA overall, it's just really hard right now for most of these teams to stay healthy. So we're getting like. A shell of many of these teams in these situations trying to play and the unfortunate thing is like there's a cool opportunity for a team like the Cavs to win and it's a great story but it does in the back of your head make you say my god like if they were fully manned how much Mm -hmm. different would this matchup look and I I mean that's that's,
2: that's, at so many teams right I mean it's the Lakers too it's the Nets. There's a lot of teams that had big, big, big absences that completely changed the complexion of both both conferences.
1: It's going to take a very long time to figure out why, too. Is it how compacted seasons have been? Like, what is, what is causing the massive amount of injuries that are taking down so many players? We'll keep breaking it all down, obviously, but coming up, plenty of stars with statuses up in the air going into the postseason. One who's got to be feeling the pressure. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio.
1: Spain and Fifth on ESPN Radio, is this the ESPN it? app, Sirius XM channel eighty. No, that is not it. But I will tell you, I did look it up. <laughs> what might have been ended up in nineteen ninety four. It was the it, by the end of the year, it was number thirty five for the entire year on the U.S. Adult Contemporary uh, charts. It was all a, right. I'm gonna, gonna have a to listen to this hit. song. I'm gonna have oh, to listen
2: to this song. I don't remember it at all.
1: Yeah, you'll listen to like two seconds of it and you'll be like man really? that was an era of 90s music that was particularly forgettable like it, 90s- it's
2: giving me like just the thought of it is giving me like some peter satara vibes is that the vibes
1: no because i stink love i almost i almost, peter, I almost Cetera <laughs> peter Cetera is a
2: gift peter
1: satara is a gift all right like uh, you know, Gloria Love, oh, my God, just sit me down on the ground and let me get my own Doesn't feels. have that vibe. No, man, I mm, mean, uh, no. Okay, this, this, it sounds this, more
2: country than that.
1: Yeah, Peter Peter Cetera is a delight. Uh, <laughs> speaking of delight, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, pressure is a delight to some, and pressure is a cooker to others, and pressure is an interesting conversation when it comes to the NBA playoffs because – we've obviously covered over the course of the network and over the course of the last couple of weeks where pressure lives, but James Harden has been really adamant that he doesn't feel any pressure. Sarah, are you buying that?
2: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I think even if you're James Harden and you have a wholly different set of expectations for yourself and your career, than many athletes, myself included, and I'm counting myself as an athlete because when I played, uh, my mindset was uh, extremely competitive, leave it all out there, be a lunatic, and that just doesn't ever seem to be James' approach. He always seems to be like, oh, well, I don't feel like being here anymore, so I'm going to fake being fat, go to some strip clubs, leave my team, and get what I want, and then I'm going to show up <laughs> somewhere new, and I'm going to be uh, someone everyone's excited about it for a little bit, and then if I play poorly, I'm just going to sort of shrug about it. So even if he's that guy and he really doesn't feel it the way uh, a lot of other athletes do, I still think it would be impossible to be in his current situation and not be aware.
1: I think you have to also be aware of the risks people took around you to acquire you. We've talked about this, but, man, nobody knows James Harden better than Daryl Morey. And Daryl Morey went out there and and aggressively went after him. And and to that end, Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, was on first take. This was his thoughts on the concept that Harden isn't feeling any pressure.
3: I can't fathom an athlete in that city Coming up when, with his track record and some of the things that have happened to him in the postseason and coming in there with what the organization just went through, with all the drama around Ben Simmons, all they gave up to get him, going two-thirds of the year without any other player in mind except this player and a guy in the MVP season next to him, and you say, I got to prove, hmm. and, and hearing people driving off the road, tires screeching on the Ben Franklin Bridge as people pull off on, on Sports Talk Radio in Philly because you're going, what are you, wait, what are you talking about? I don't feel any pressure, I've got nothing to prove, and nothing could be further from the truth. And he's putting it out there for public consumption. You're not gonna bother me with what you say. I'm beyond that, I'm good with who I am, and I'm secure. And that's fine for public consumption, but we all know how the human mind works. He's gotta be alone with his own thoughts at times, and there's no question in my mind, he's feeling it. And by the way, I got news for you, he's gonna feel it in a level of accountability and scrutiny like he has never experienced if he comes up small, particularly in this series, first-round series, and they go home with everything they went through to get to this point, if he does not deliver and get them at least to the next round, and part of it because he plays well, he's never going to deal with anything like he's done with the People can say, oh, he's going to get his money anyway, and he should be good with that. Fine, if that's what you want to hang your hat on, I got my money, I'm a Hall of Famer, who cares? Great. Well, that's not what the great, how the great ones think you know, stand up there and say, yeah, man, I noticed pressure on me and I'm going to deliver. I'd rather hear him say that than say, I don't have any pressure and I've got nothing to prove.
2: I am 100% in agreement with everything he said. I would much rather have him say, there is pressure. There's a lot of expectations on me and on this team, and I'm ready for them, and I'm, 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 ready, to, I'm ready to do it. Instead of, you know, no pressure. I feel, I'm ready to hoop. There's nothing to it. And I, I do think the people around him will feel this much more than he will because he has already established himself as someone who can escape criticism at times because the expectations have been lowered for him. I think Daryl Morey will feel it. I think Embiid, I think that whole franchise for not paying off the promise of the process will pay for it more than James Harden. Everyone will just shrug and say, we could have told you this would happen with him.
1: When Legler says that's not how the great ones think, it makes me really think that's not how the human ones think in so many ways. Like, I understand even if you're a person that lives in a bubble where you just don't feel pressure, you're that cool, calm, and collected, that's fine. But you know everybody else around you is feeling pressure, and that has to be absorbed. And you have to take some accountability with that, and you have to, to let it at least soak into what you're thinking about for the process enough to let it impact the way you feel. It doesn't have to impact your game, but you know, anytime any of us are on a pressure-filled whatever that our job is, even if you're not the one feeling the pressure, if everybody else is, that should at least be acknowledged. And to, my, I'm not asking Harden to stand up here and say, "Yeah, I feel a ton of pressure," but at least an answer of, "I understand the pressure that's on everybody in this organization, and I'm just trying to do my best to stay where I am and and make sure that I'm the best me." Like I could understand all of those, but any sort of flippant, uh, there's no pressure answer. I'm not buying any of it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. A couple of updates too to get everybody uh, caught up on that will impact playoff action. Steph Curry said today. Uh, Steve Kerr, I should say, said today that Curry will face a minutes restriction if he's ultimately cleared. Play. That's according to Marcus Thompson of The Athletic. It should be noted he did practice with the team, which we knew was going to be a requirement. So he has done a little practicing, but we don't know how good that foot's going to be. We don't know what to expect early on. And the Warriors are going to have to make an early decision in this series. Do you put him in on a minutes restriction or do you give him a couple extra days and get as much out of him as mm-hmm. you can throughout the course of the series?
2: Yeah, it's going to be tough. And, and that's a weird, tough series in terms of a matchup for them. Uh, and so I don't know if they really will have the ability to wait too long and bring in Steph in.
1: Yeah, well, and speaking of waiting too long, the the Mavs are going to have to make some decisions there too as Luka Doncic expected to be out game one of the opening round of the playoffs against the Jazz. Uh, So that's going to be, you know, obviously we've talked about it. A calf strain can lead up to, what, 16 days on average? So you're talking about it could be Mm -hmm. a prolonged absence. If you're the Mavs, you're just trying to hold on for dear life until you can get him back on the court.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm really worried about this Mavs team because as much as they've tried to stay a little bit positive publicly about Luka's availability, like you mentioned, it was an average of 16 days missed for an injury like this. It could be much longer, it, and there's really not a lot of ways to speed up the process on a calf strain. We don't know much about the grade or the location, but this could be one where he misses the whole dang round and they're bounced without him ever seeing the court.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that's going to be a quick round if he misses it for the Mavs. And then lastly, of course, all eyes on Ben Simmons. Hasn't played since last year's playoffs. Not sure when he's going to be back, but this is what Tim Legler said on Keyshawn J. Will and Max about Simmons coming back.
3: Who knows where his mind is at? I mean, I just did a segment where Brian Windhorst is saying he might make an appearance by game four of this series. And for eight weeks, they've been downplaying it, right? And, and Wendy had a great line. He said, he's only worn a uniform one time, and that was on picture day when he first got there, right? So And now he hasn't played five-on-five five yet, and were talking about he might pop up. And I said, I wonder if there's any correlation to him all of a sudden maybe being available once they found out they're on the opposite bracket of Philly because now the chances huh. of playing Philly are slim to none mm-hmm. in the postseason.
2: Yeah, that's not a conspiracy theory. That certainly makes sense. And listen, obviously, there's health things and its back. And mentally, you know, it's a real tough situation to drop him into the postseason with a team he's never played with, teammates he's never played with, in a game he hasn't played since last June or whatever it is. But at least it wouldn't be against Philly. And that's obviously something that they have to think about, which is strange but true when it comes to Simmons.
1: Yeah, but if Simmons, I, I mean, I feel like they're doing everything they can to protect him mentally and physically. And also, once he gets on the court, the first thing anybody's going to do is, uh, and I think Wendy pointed this out before, just attack him, send him to the foul line, and make him shoot right away. And that's mm-hmm. going to be awkward if that is not a strong start. So they've got to weigh the short term versus the long term, which won't be an easy decision. All right, we'll get back to the NBA. But coming up, a writer, comedian, actress, and Emmy Award winner will join us next You do not want to miss this. It's interesting. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial Insurance flexes to fit your business's needs. From quick repairs to adjustable coverages and even payment options, Progressive Commercial makes it easy to get what you need. Quote today in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Happy to welcome in Emmy-winning comedian, actress, writer, and producer fresh off her hosting gig at the Writers Guild Awards and on with us to talk about season three of A Black Lady Sketch Show and all sorts of other things that she's involved in. Extremely prolific right now. Let's start there, though. My girl, Jamal Hill, just guested on A Black Lady Sketch Show. You got any good behind the scenes? Did she flub her lines? Did she uh mess up any takes? Do you have any, have any trash talking you can help us do there?
5: No, sorry, total pro, no. and we were all outside running in a 100-degree heat on that day, and she was a total pro.
1: Oh, man, that, that, that's disappointing. I wanted there to be some <laughs> trash talking going on. Uh, so do you have, like, is there some, some guest that you have in your mind that you think, man, I really want to have this person on the show?
5: Oh, you know what? I always do that based on like who I wish I could kiss, so Idris Elba is high up there on the list.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is a great one. I love that. Uh, Angela Bassett, Laverne Cox, Kelly Rowland, you've had a lot of great guest stars on there. Um, what separates the show from other sketch shows? I mean, very clearly, you're going to tackle different topics, and you're trying to bring something to the space that hasn't always been there before. But when you describe it to people, what makes it different?
5: You know, I think the production value is really high. I think a lot of times when people think of sketch, they think of the word skit, like something quickly thrown together. And what we're doing on a Black Lady Sketch Show is it is sketch comedy, but we're doing it at a really beautifully directed, well-produced level. Is there, a,
1: is there an influence for you when you put this show together and thought about it, because Sarah and I both big comedy fans. Like, Is there some something that you pull from as a main influence of, like, we want to do something in that range?
5: You know, what's really great is we've been able to have so many of my influences on the show, like um, in our first episode this season, Wanda Sykes and David Allen Greer, two like amazing comedy legends were both on the show. So you like grow up as a comedian, having these like icons in your mind and then you end up sitting and acting right next to them. It's like so crazy.
2: Yeah, and you have to imagine, you know, anyone doing sketch now is going to have reference points to SNL, to In Living Color, to shows like that. So having someone like David Allen Greer on that's got that history, so cool. We're talking to Ashley Nicole Black, Emmy-winning comedian, actress, writer, producer, season three of A Black Lady Sketch Show. uh, Out now or about to be out?
5: It's out now. The first episode aired last week. This week is episode two all three seasons are on HBO Max and I can guarantee you a laugh if you check it out.
2: <laughs> I've seen some of it. Uh, it is it is hilarious and um, I, I'm fascinated by, there. there's a lot of uh, really make through lines that make sense. I started watching you on Full Frontal with Samantha Bee. Uh, you were a writer and correspondent there um, and that completely makes sense. But the Ted Lasso thing when I've been following you on Twitter for a while and I saw you popping up as a writer for that show I was kind of surprised by that. Is there a soccer background or how did you get involved starting with the uh, season two of that show?
5: Uh, well, you know, very strong soccer background in AYSO as an eight-year-old. Nice. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Orange slices for days. Exactly. Uh, but actually a
5: friend of mine had introduced me to Bill Lawrence. He and Jason were the showrunners on that show. And they were just like such nice guys. And I was like, I, I know nothing about soccer, but I want to work with these <laughs> nice people um, and so it was exactly the experience you would expect for watching Ted Lasso behind the scenes. Were there are there people that work on the show that sort
1: of help with the soccer information?
5: Yes. So Brendan Hunt, who also uh-huh. plays Coach Beer, is also one of the writers in the room, and he is the soccer encyclopedia. So he's the guy that you text. You're like, okay, these two characters are mad at each other. I need to show it on the field, and then he <laughs> translates that into soccer words. <laughs>
2: That show just exploded. What's it like to be a part of something like that? Are you actually on set for taping, or do you get to experience more of that insane fandom at maybe award shows or live events?
5: Yeah, mostly award shows and Twitter. And, you know, when I was working on that show, it was the height of the pandemic, and we were all working on Zoom separate from each other. So we knew that people needed that laugh and comfort, and so getting the feedback from the audience that it did comfort them in that way during the pandemic was incredibly gratifying.
1: Sarah, every time she has mentioned your name throughout the course of this interview, has mentioned the 3,000 things it feels like you do. Is there <laughs> something you prefer when it comes down to producing, acting, writing? Is there one that you prefer more?
5: You know what? I am such a nerd. I really just like making my friends laugh. And I have found a job, (laughs) several jobs that allows me to get paid to do that. But my favorite thing is when I get to do all three, when I get to act and write and produce and see a show through from beginning to end. Um, I'm a Gemini. I have those two personalities. Mm -hmm. I like both the behind the scenes and the on-set experience because it's really just about, you know, making your friends laugh in the writer's room, trying to make the crew laugh on set. I just like to be there for all parts of it.
2: Ashley Nicole Black is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You can watch a Black Lady sketch show on HBO and previous seasons on HBO Max. You know, I wonder with Ted Lasso, I remember talking to uh, Brendan Hunt about how the arc was really for three seasons. And is it possible it's just so great and so popular that they extend it? Have you heard talk of that? Maybe a spinoff of one of the characters if we can't get a full Ted Lasso season four?
5: Only Jason Sudeikis
2: can answer that question, so you have to have him on. <laughs>
1: oh, that was well done. That was that was. That well, was thanks really for well thanks for
2: putting us in touch. Then I look forward to that. Yeah.
1: yeah well, also, I think we can add tap dancing to the resume because right. she just yeah. tap danced yeah, right around all really of that.
2: Was, she really did. What?
5: <laughs> with being Jason's publicist, now.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> what's left? That What's the next thing that you want to accomplish for somebody that's done so many varied things? What's next?
5: Um, I really want to create and write a show for myself to star in. I've been lucky to support a lot of writer performers in that way. And now I'm ready to do it for myself.
2: Oh, cool. I love that. Hey, I want to ask you, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, of Sam B, and I was so grateful to see a woman at the helm of a, of a late night show. There's happening more often. You also write for Amber Ruffin. Um, but I think one of the things I love about her most is how unapologetic she is. And as a woman in male dominated industries, I think there's always this real tightrope walk of being authentically and 100 percent honest in your criticism of the things that are unfair in your owning of your own confidence and and awareness of, 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 you know, the world that you live in and the constrictions that result from it, while also not alienating people who just are sick of women bitching. And I wonder how you feel about that when you were working for that show and whether there was a consciousness of how do we be, I hate saying this word, likable, while also being able to be furious and and create action and all of that that you were trying to do in that show.
5: Yeah, I feel like Sam struck such a good balance with that, and I really learned a lot from her in that regard. I think previously, not even that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, Max, comedians really had this feeling that, like, in order to be funny you had to act as though what was happening in the world didn't actually affect you. So like when you'd see men, you know, they're always in a suit behind the desk doing jokes about the news, but it's always sort of like add a remove. And I think the really revolutionary thing that Sam did is she is telling jokes about the news also, but she's not pretending that politics and the news and the real world doesn't affect her as it does all of us as human beings. Um, and so I think you There was such a resistance to that, that if we're going to be the one to sort of step out there and do something different, you have to be so incredibly funny. And obviously she is. And I put Amber in that category as well, doing something similar. Your jokes just have to hit that much harder. But we have found, you know, with both of those shows that the audience really appreciates knowing that the host feels just like they do about the events that are affecting all of us.
2: Yeah. It's awesome. I love that show uh, and love Ted Lasso of course. Uh, I've seen a couple sketches from Black Lady Sketch Show. I'm going to have to dive in now. Um, I'm way behind. I haven't even watched Succession yet. I need the content to stop for like (laughs) a year and I'll catch up. I haven't even seen Game of Thrones. What am I doing with my life? Uh, Ashley, thanks so much.
5: I promise you we're less stressful than both of those shows but maybe start with black lady i think yeah 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 (laughs) it'll
2: be better like post show wind down than starting fresh with succession uh thanks so much for the time ashley really appreciate it thanks ashley
5: thank you guys
2: good stuff i gotta i gotta get on that show oh there's too many fits there's not enough time i gotta stop working so much can you want to just take over or yeah
1: I mean, do I, you know what, I give you permission to take the next three months. Just a Wow, off mute. Thank you. At least a,
2: you know, a couple days for the next couple oh, NBA playoffs. We're going to be off anyway, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. We go. Uh, coming up, we're going to wrap up the show with our predictions for the first round of the playoffs, and also you tell us who got the most out of their money for the fines they got this week. It's next, Spain and Fitz.:
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
2: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel eighty, gonna give you our predictions for tomorrow's final purgatory games. I'm sorry, play in games. And then the <laughs> first round. Uh, we're not allowed to call it the postseason, but it's not the regular season, so it's purgatory. Uh it's it's playoffs. It's it's the postseason. I'm gonna keep calling it that whether I'm allowed know, to. Purgatory
1: or not. is an awesome name. Like you can yeah. do all sorts of branding about it. It's like it's yep. purgatory. I yeah. mean that's yeah, that's good.
2: I'm sure the real religious folks will appreciate using that as the uh, as the analogy for yeah, not man. quite being in or out. Happy Easter! Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, earlier in the show, we talked about a couple players that got fined over the last few days for various things. Pat Beverly, thirty thousand dollars for egregious profanity. After the big win the other night against his former team, and Miles Bridges 50,000 for whipping his mouthpiece into the stands. Unfortunately for him, connected with a 16-year-old girl, so that's obviously not going to go over well. 50k out of his pocket, and then Ryan Hartman 4250, 4,250 bucks for the middle finger to Evander Kane. Best part of that story is Evander Kane's estranged ex-wife donating to a GoFundMe to help pay the fine. That's just a chef's kiss follow-up on that one. In addition to other Minnesota Wild fans paying some of the fine form, we asked who got their money's worth. And the Twitter poll at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Hartman, the middle fingers to the not very well-liked Evander Kane, not surprisingly the winner there, 61.1%. Then Pat Bev with the profanity and the table dancing and the crying, 32.8%. Bridges with the mouthpiece, unfortunately, uh, took some shrapnel there with the girl, so he only got 6.1%. Uh, but uh, all of them, mostly absurd fines. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, that's the the funniest part about it. Not, I still can't not
2: undeserved. But I just, it's weird.
1: Yeah, I don't want just, anyone
2: to think you shouldn't get fined for throwing things at the stands. I agree with it, just weird.
1: <laughs> just wild to think that that's what we would be talking about. And also, right. very, such a strangely specific amount on the middle finger, like, If you give multiple middle fingers, does it just like it is, does that multiply exponentially? Like, how how does that, is it 4,500 per digit? Like, what are we doing here? So, it's a very specific amount.
2: (laughs) It was. Imagine if he'd thrown the double, double butt atoms, it would have been worse. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We are off tomorrow. We're also off, I believe, next week, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, because of all the NBA playoff action that's going to be on our air here. So since this is our last show before tomorrow night's play-in finals and the first round game Saturday-Sunday, we're going to get some predictions in here. And Fitz, let's start with the play-in games. Ooh, yeah. Give us oh, yeah, some look gis- at this. Oh. oh yeah. All right. Give me your prediction Ooh. for tomorrow night. Pelicans-Clippers, the chance to walk into the buzzsaw that is the Suns.
1: I really want the Pelicans to win this game, especially after we watched the way C.J. played uh, last night. I want that so bad, but the Clippers are good. The Clippers are deep, and they have Paul George. I'm taking the Clippers in this game. I, it, there's a little bit of brand bias. I'll be the first to admit mm-hmm. it, but I'm taking the Clippers.
2: My, uh, my heart is also saying Pelicans for our guy, C.J., uh, and we saw a really nice performance from them, but I feel like the Clippers – after getting so close against the T-Wolves and with Paul George now back and Powell, I just, I think the Clippers are going to take this one. I think this is where the veteran uh, presence and especially coaching of Ty Lue come into play. So I've got the Pelican, I've got the Clippers in that one over the Pelicans. All right, Hawks, Cavs tomorrow night. Jared Allen allegedly going to try to go. We don't know at what percent he will be, but that changes things a little bit. You got the Hawks or the Cavs with the right to take on the Heat.
1: Yeah, I don't trust that uh, Allen will be able to play or be meaningful if he does play, so I'm taking the Hawks, even though it's on the road and everybody says you shouldn't. Atlanta, Trey Young recaptures his magic, and Clint Capella continues to play the way he did last night. Yep, Atlanta wins.
2: I'm actually going to agree with you on this one. Despite the Hawks' road numbers and despite the fact that the Cavs might get Jarrett Allen, the Cavs just haven't looked the the way that they did at their peak this season, and i Uh, I think the Hawks got a lot of confidence last night from Capella and Hunter doing what they did on an off night for Trey. So if Trey shows up and especially if he gets himself into playoff Trey, ice Trey mode, uh, like we saw him be able to pull out places like MSG, get that swagger going. I think he could put them away. So I've got Atlanta over Cleveland in that one as well. All right, let's get to the West. The aforementioned Suns, who have just been world beaters, start to finish all season long, taking on the winner of that Pelicans, Clippers. Who you got?
1: Yeah, the Suns are going to take him back to the shed, make them think about what they did for <laughs> even making us watch it. The Suns win easy.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. The Suns team is about as much of a of a sure thing, as much of a lock as you can get in an always up and down and confusing nba season uh they are incredibly talented they are healthy they've got loads of continuity from last season the postseason experience of getting to the finals last year they are confident but they're not a team that loses itself in that confidence it's just to me a team that's destined for really big things and will be Deeply disappointing if they don't get back to the finals and and probably win it this time. I've got the Suns easily. Grizzlies, Timberwolves. This one is fun. Carl Anthony Towns absolutely pooping the bed against the Clippers, but his team rallied with him out, fouled out, and managed to win. But it's a Grizzlies team that has been downright fantastic. Even when Ja Morant is out for 20-something games, they still look great. I've got the Grizzlies in this one, Fitz. As much as I think the Timberwolves are a real tough matchup for anyone because of the inside-outside game of Cat, the Grizzlies are too strong for me.
1: Yeah, the Grizzlies are too strong, too deep, too good, too fast. Uh, I, I think these these two series aren't even going to be close. These are, these are easy walk-through opportunities for two teams that are very, very good. Memphis rolls in that one.
2: Uh, interesting to see though, if Pat Bev will be up to his usual antics, uh, you know, this is a team that has, uh, had a little bit of a a beef back and forth and he's going to try to get under the skin of the Grizzlies. He's going to try to get, um, players on that Memphis team to get out of the game. We'll see how that works for him. I've still, uh, like I said, got the Grizzlies. All right. Warriors nuggets without Steph likely, at least for the beginning of this uh what do you make of this matchup
1: yeah that's the thing like I don't know when if Steph doesn't play then the Nuggets gonna roll here and the Warriors have been wildly inconsistent at the end of the year they're on such a free fall I I have a hard time imagining Steph doesn't come in and make a difference but I also think that the Nuggets present a bigger mismatch uh, size-wise than Mm -hmm. uh, necessarily they get the credit for I think the Nuggets in a close series I think the Nuggets win this one
2: Curry hasn't played since March 16th so even though he's quote unquote on track to play in game one and they say his conditioning is good you do have to figure out just how much he has to catch up Uh, I guess we got to speed through these a little bit faster because we're running out of time here man I was really hot on this Warriors team and as well as Jokic has played it's a matter of whether he is enough without Murray and everybody else and I, I think my gut's gonna tell me Warriors in this one I think I'm going to go Warriors. Okay.
1: There's our one difference so far.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. Mavs, Jazz. Again, a big question mark with Yoke uh, with uh, Luca. But the Jazz has been so inconsistent. What do you make of this matchup?
1: Yeah. I, the, oh, you know, I, 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 yeah, it's the Jazz. It's the Jazz. No Luca. No, no nothing sure without uh, Luca. And so, yeah, I'm taking the Jazz. Uh, I don't feel good about it. I feel like Luca's going to come in and be Superman suddenly. <laughs> but no, I'll take the Jazz.
2: Ah, this is gonna be one that we're gonna be able to take a mulligan on later once we find out what's going on with Luca. But with my expectation for the strained left calf potentially keeping him out for more than just game one, which is the only one we know he's out for for sure, I'm gonna have to say the Jazz as well. The maps just aren't the maps without Luca. All right, let's speed through the East: Heat versus the Hawks or Cavs. So you got? Heat big. I got the Heat big as well. I just think that team is too consistent and too balanced, and then you've got a great coach in Spolstra. Celtics-Nets.
1: Oh, mm, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking the Nets. I'm Ooh, taking the Nets. Yeah, okay. the, Kyrie and KD are, are going to be a nightmare throughout all of this. I want the Celtics to win. I, I will just, not
2: be yeah. surprised no matter which way this goes. Right now I'm taking the Celtics. Right now, I'm taking the Celtics. It's the consistency for the Nets that's going to throw me there. Bucks, Bulls. Unfortunately, the Bucks. I'll be happy if the Bulls get two games, and I think they'll probably only win one.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Now, what do we have on Sixers, Raptors? Who you got?
2: Terrible matchup. Sixers, Raptors. I got the Sixers in this round. I got the Sixers. Oh, look at this. The entire Sixers roster is going to be on Friday and Fitzsimmons next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.